This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the top tier brewing stand. Visit them online at blickmanengineering.com. Time for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zanashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy, hey, my Bruin brothers and sisters. Greetings, Cretans. <laughs> it's the main Cretan himself, John Indeed. Palmer. Uh, How are you doing today? Good. Also got uh, my good friend Matt Thomas here in the studio with us. And, uh, oh, my, very good. My not-so-dear friend, uh, Scott Moskowitz. <laughs> Just a regular friend? <laughs> a regular I'll friend. I'll take that. Yeah, yeah. I consider you uh, an acquaintance. Yes. Oh, what happened? Normal. Me and a friend. We keep taking a step down. Uh. <laughs> I know you. You're I a guy know. I've met before. I've, I've seen you before. Yeah. Your name is. Yes. You're that redhead. <laughs> yeah, the redheaded fella. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Palmer and I had uh, great times out in uh, CBC land and Portland. Oh, we sure did. Yeah. How was that? Her, well, her great things. Frank's Noodle House. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you three words. Frank's Noodle House. Is that the uh, the extracurricular uh, mealtime? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, we had a lot of great experiences out there. Um, mm. And one was, there's this, this place. It's like a house. that's kind of on the outskirts of Portland. That uh, they do hand-pulled noodles. You know, the, the traditional Chinese hand-pulled noodles. And... They were really good. Big, thick noodles, but they were flawlessly cooked. You know, just al dente enough, and, uh, you know, they, they they pull your noodle right before they cook it. That's true. I've got to love those Asians. <laughs> How many meals did you eat there during the course of the conference? In, in what was just it? Just one. Four? Oh, you only ate yeah, there once? One. Oh, come on. Yeah, it was at yeah. the end, you know, we did not uh, yeah. discover it until then. Yeah, we also had a good time at uh, Jake's Crawfish, which is a famous Portland seafood restaurant with some friends. But it was not uh, crawfish uh, season. True. Uh, well, I'll tell you what. If we went to Jake's Crawfish, and you know what? That was a pricey meal, but... <laughs> our good friends. Sponsoring us, uh, even in our fine meals, uh, our good friend John Blickman. Uh, he picked up pick the towel for everybody. Good guy. And... Yeah. Uh, uh, even included in uh, Chris Chambers and uh, and who was the other guy with Chris? Um, so horrible with names. Chris Chambers from Dunbar Brewing and uh, the guy with him was also yeah. his friend. 
<laughs> Jim? Jim? Hey, yeah, Ray. sure. Yeah. It might have been Ray. Ray. Jim Ray. Jim Ray was there with us. Darn. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, no, that was really good too. They it was not crawfish season, but uh, the uh, steelhead was excellent. Yes, and uh, I had the uh, Dungeness crab, I believe, which was also quite excellent. And then uh, Chris took us down to some uh, place called the Pope House, where they <laughs> have all sorts of uh, whiskeys and bourbons and such. That's perfect. Yeah, Did your brother wrote it. No. <laughs> We, we ran across. I ran across rats running down the street uh, one night, and we, <laughs> giant raccoon. A giant raccoon. Yeah, now nah, it was pretty small. I mean, it, it was it was good size. It was average. I've I've seen the real big ones. I mean, as big as mm-hmm. Scott, you know, as big as Scott, come come walking <laughs> at me. Uh, but this one was like a normal raccoon wandering out on the street it came out in between the houses and handling yeah. it was just like uh and I just turned around walked back in we're like okay where was cbc this year portland it w- okay it was stateside yes. i mean you feel like you're describing uh <laughs> right. know, some mediterranean when channel. the when the rats were streaming up and down the street that kind of freaked me out a little bit i'm like yeah rats it's like i'm in new york how was the trade show floor huge uh, huge and uh really good um yeah, over 600 vendors, um, 12,000 attendees at CPC this year. It's quite impressive. Yeah, and what, what were you uh, what were you doing there, Jamil? Just networking and pouring a bunch of heretic beer for people that weren't paying for it? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I did not send any beer at all. Uh, you know, talking to distributors, a lot of the distributors came in from all over the world to be there, and so I had meetings with a number of them, and... Uh, uh, checking out for stuff that I need for the brewery. So, uh, equipment, supplies like, you know, hops or bottles or cans, uh, all that stuff. Did you find any equipment you didn't think you needed, but now you're convinced you need it? Uh, yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, I think, uh, a, a couple of things along those lines where. The it was the oxygen meter or the CO2 meter? Uh, I knew I need that. I, I was just uh, trying to trying to beat them up on price. Uh-huh. Um, there was uh, there was something else. There's some a few things. Um, you know, I'll, I'll tell you what. Uh, I went by the uh, Lamotte booth. We uh, oh yeah talked to uh, uh, Ernie, Ernie and Ernie Dave. Ernie and Dave, and uh, uh, I got a, a water test kit from him. And normally. You know, I'm like, you know, water is one of the last things you need to look at, you know, when you're when you're brewing. You know, first take care of your fermentation, all that. But they have a nice kit that actually makes it pretty easy. Got all mm-hmm. the instructions and it. it's got everything you need, so you're not hunting around trying to trying to pick up, uh, you know, buy this and that, and you know, all, you know, all in the right quantities and things like that. It's like that the kit I got, it's uh, the plus kit, good for 50, 50 tests. And so yeah. uh, uh, I thought it was real handy and uh, brought that back for the lab at uh, Heretic. And uh, we're going to implement uh, monthly water testing so that, cool. uh, you know, we know what our water is, but, you know, water changes over, you know, depending on what you're getting. And uh, we want to be, you know, one step ahead of that and know, you know, what's happening. Right. Definitely. Water just changes by its nature and 
does, I mean, is it being accelerated now? We're, we're in the midst of a, uh, a big drought here in California, and they're going to start treating right. different water? They're going to pull it from the ground or what? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, they'll, they'll pull more groundwater. They won't have, you know, the surface water. They won't have, you know, the snow melt in the rivers and things like that. So they're, they're just going to have to take what they can get. And yeah. then, the utility and, is the one that changes it, Scott, where, you know, the depending on availability and, you know, cost of treatment for a particular source, they'll move it around because, you know, they've got the requirement to provide, you know, X millions of gallons of water a day. And uh, so they're looking at their sources, you know, their resources, where they can get that and, and you know, how much treatment it takes to, to deliver it. So it can... Especially here in California, uh, the you know the the water is probably going to start getting harder and harder. That is, you know, more minerals in it because it's going to come from groundwater sources, um, and because of the lack of uh, surface water or mountain runoff that we have been getting in the past. Is that what we all just said? So do do, do homebrewers need to start brewing I made pil- it pils? They need to start brewing pilsners then. <laughs> Uh, it would be harder to do pills. Oh, harder? Actually. More, uh, yeah. more stouts. Ah. More stoutish, uh, generally. Uh, well, and uh, what are we talking about today? We're going to talk about, uh, uh, we're going to do a, a Q&A, uh, and this is going to be some of your, your pro-brewer questions uh, on running a pro-brewery. Yep. Uh, we got a, a pile of those, and that's what I just decided to pull this morning. You know, uh, Jay and well, we, I... We talked to a lot of craft brewers, of course, at CBC. And got You know, a lot of people came up to us and talked, told us how much they liked the show. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're still learning from it. So we're doing our best to keep it relevant. Right. Well, and here's the story I told my wife. John <laughs> and I were at... Uh, see, we could do uh, all our CBC stories here. John <laughs> and I were at the uh, welcome opening reception. And this is crowd of like you know thousands of people stuffed in this one little coliseum thing and there's people coming up saying thank you you know uh appreciate all you know all your information it's really helped me you know become a professional brewer a better brewer things like that and no offense to all you guys out there but you know it's a bunch of you know fat fat white dudes <laughs> you know <laughs> some of them are skinnier nowadays and a little more modern you know not 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 as fat and uh and it's never, very rarely is it women. <laughs> this super hot woman <laughs> comes up and she's doing the full on, hey, you know, I'm a brewer and, you know, I wanted to thank you. And uh, I want the story. I'm like, best looking woman I've seen in a long time. And she happens to be a brewer. <laughs> and I'm always complaining about it. It's all, you know, it's all these fat white dudes. And uh, she's like, you should have taken a picture. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I think that would have seemed really strange. But, John, you remember who I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I just I can't remember her name, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, yeah, it was so loud I couldn't hear, hardly hear anything. But yeah, it was just it was quite unusual. I'm like, great. Not that a, a really attractive woman can't brew great beer. It's just doesn't happen often it's kind of a rarity yeah it's a rarity yeah. Yeah. you know for for women to be head brewers at this point you know unfortunately did you catch who was who she brewing for 
You don't remember? I don't know. It was somewhere East Coast, New York, something. No kidding. Yeah. You, yeah. you know, it's funny uh, is the, uh, the, you know, sometimes the, the dog or the pet, you know, looks like the owner. Oh, you know, uh, in this right, case, right. the audience resembles the hosts. <laughs> is it <laughs> a right. big surprise? It's fat white guys. That's right. Fat white guys on this show. Fat white guys listening. Uh-huh. That's what I'm just saying. If you if you're not recognizing that, you probably you probably should be listening to a different show. No. Well, send in your picture. I want to see who you are now. <laughs> right, right. And tell us who you you yeah, know. Maybe know. send in some of your beer. Yeah. Oh, I wish I could remember. I thought that was, was just totally cool. It really was. <sighs> yeah. Kind of mixed a lot, it, and mixed a lot it up. of international brewers were at the CBC as well. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's take a short break, and when we come back, we'll we'll get into questions about. Uh, about the pro brewer and uh, oh hey, I've got a Jay Z's medical corner coming up. Whoopee. later in the show, <laughs> so you don't want to miss that. All right, we'll be back right after this. Are you looking for a simple brewing system that's great for all grain brewing, but everything on the market seems to be full of compromises? Blickman Engineering has the answer. The Blickman Brew Easy All Grain Brewing System. The Brew Easy is a complete system with easy upgrades and a beautiful compact design, perfect for any size brewing location. At its core, the Brew Easy is built on two gorgeous Blickman Boilermaker brew kettles, a high-temperature march pump, and either a top-tier gas burner or the new boil coil electric heater. The Brew Easy adapter lid allows the pots to stack on top of each other, forming an efficient, strong, and compact brewing setup that comes in 5, 10, and 20-gallon batch sizes. Upgrade your BrewEasy system with full automated control by adding a Blickman Tower of Power temp controller and make moving around easy with the Blickman Kettle Cart. The BrewEasy is modular. If you already own a Boilermaker kettle, you can build your BrewEasy by purchasing just the modules you need. The new BrewEasy all-grain brewing system. See it today at BlickmanEngineering.com and brew with Blickman quality on your new BrewEasy. The National Homebrew Conference is coming up this summer, and More Beer wants to send you. To celebrate 20 years of serving homebrewers, More Beer is giving away two full pass registrations to the 2015 National Homebrew Conference, June 10th through 13th. That's right, two full passes, full access to all the presentations, club night, and pro brewers night, two seats to the grand banquet and awards ceremony, two one-year membership gift cards to the American Homebrewers Association, four-night stay at the beautiful town and country resort, round-trip air fair to and from the San Diego airport. Two VIP passes to the Brewing Network's own anniversary party. A $250 prepaid Visa gift card for food and your other expenses. And dinner with the More Beer crew. Visit morebeer.com for all the details and to enter. You can enter once a day through April 15th and the winner will be drawn on April 25th. If you've already purchased your registration to the event and seats to the Grand Banquet, those fees can be refunded. Enter today at morebeer.com. When I order a beer, I want my server to know more about it than I do. I want someone who enjoys good beer and loves helping others enjoy it, too. I want someone who knows how to pour a perfect pint for every beer style. I want a Cicerone. The Cicerone Certification Program is creating the type of people who help you enjoy great beer. Home brewers and craft beer lovers know beer is more flavorful and complex than ever, and it takes some serious knowledge to store and serve beer right. Cicerones know beer. There are three levels in the Cicerone Program. Certified Beer Server, Certified Cicerone, and Master Cicerone. Cicerones are truly the sommeliers of beer. The best beer locations have a certified Cicerone on staff. Relaxed 
and unpretentious. Cicerones are tested on storing and serving beer, beer styles, flavor and tasting, the brewing process and ingredients, and pairing food with beer. Learn more about your next beer guide at Cicerone.org. Certified Cicerone, because it takes top talent to present a perfect pint. For nearly 40 years, one organization has had your back. The American Homebrewers Association. Are you a member? <laughs> Why not? Join the more than 40,000 brewers who enjoy all the American Homebrewers Association has to offer. Like Zymergy Magazine, in print and online, plus the Zymergy app. Zymergy is the leading publication for amateur brewers around the world. Supporters also get member deals at their local breweries, bars, and homebrew shops. These alone quickly pay for your membership. You'll also get great member-only resources at homebrewersassociation.org and access to AHA events like the National Homebrewers Conference and the National Homebrew Competition. The American Homebrewers Association promotes the hobby of homebrewing, protects the interests of homebrewers, and brings beer lovers together become a member today it costs less than a batch of beer and gives back so much more visit homebrewersassociation.org back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys brew strong all right we're back we're uh we get a lot of questions in. If, if you have questions for the show, you send them in to uh, Bruce Strong at thebrewingnetwork.com. And uh, we get those, and we kind of sort through them. If you have uh, show topics or questions. And actually, there's a couple of good show topics mixed in here. We're going to cover the questions, but I think uh, Palmer is going to be use your homework to uh, uh, yeah. do, do work up some uh, full shows on, on some of these. Well, they're okay. good questions. I would, I do, uh, you know, we do a lot of Q&A on the, the Sour Hour, Jay mm-hmm. Goodwin and I, mm-hmm. and, you know, we've only been doing it for pff, eight months now, less, seven months. So not and as good a, as we are. Not even, well, no, not, <laughs> and also not nearly as big of a backlog of questions, and our mm-hmm. backlog is huge. So I can oh, only yeah. imagine yeah. how many questions for over the years are just still as of yet unanswered. Yeah, there's, I think I've, at one point I just marked everything as... Red. Red. That's how I keep track. Dumped all of those, like thousands. So I think we have about 500 that are for the show. Yeah. And nice. we do about six or seven per show. Right. So we're, we're on top of it, man. We should finish sometime in the 2200s. Right. No, it's great. And uh, I try and mix in newer ones and some older ones every time. What I'll do, we try and group them into topics. So uh, get your questions in and we'll we'll mix them in there. All right, the first one here is from uh, Dan Coelho, and he said, on a, a one-barrel system, how effective is a Herms coil or a RIN system in the pro setting? I've had great success using Herms on the homebrew level, uh, but when upping the ante in volume, at what point and with what equipment do you use to effectively achieve your desired outcome from your mash? Furthermore, at this level, would you achieve good results by using the Herms coil to chill off the wort, or would you recommend jumping into a plate of frame? Plate A frame, plate, uh, plate uh, yeah, plate exchanger. frame, yeah, heat exchanger. Yeah, um, okay. I uh, so you know in the in the pro setting, I, I I you know first off one barrel is still like homebrew size, mm-hmm. so 
I think if you're doing pro at one barrel, you're you're insane. You've lost your your freaking mind because you're going to kill yourself trying to brew enough beer for even the smallest of tasting rooms. You're like, ah, oh, I don't know. Oh, no, 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 but there are a lot of guys out there killing themselves right now. Yes. It works, but as Jamil says, it's, it's a killer. Um, but I would skip the Herms rims. I think it would probably still work at, at that volume, um, you know, depending on the amount of flow. You just need more flow through it. So if you're going to do Herms or rims, uh, you, you'd scale everything up in size as well. I think you right. you can't do the little narrow coil or you know the small little uh, heaters. You'd need to step those up too. And if you did, it should work fine. I don't necessarily see you know when when you're when you get large enough, your mash just holds temp because it's just such a large volume of material that once you get it to 154 degrees, it'll sit there for an hour and not change temperature. I mean, you know, if you drop a degree, it's kind of shocking. So, yeah. you know, not really needed. Uh, but recirculating can be good. You know, you, you Vorloff to, to clarify your wort. So, you know. Um, and then at a barrel, you know, you could still use an immersion chiller, I guess, if it was big enough. Um, but, you know, you're, you're probably starting to look at, you know, a plate chiller. You can get... Uh, Here's the thing about plate chillers is <laughs> the cost of the gaskets on those plate chillers are about one-third the cost of the whole chiller. So I have a $10,000 chiller. To replace my gaskets, it cost me $3,000. How often do you have to do that? Uh, you know, maybe every couple of years. Um, the, uh, but you, could, you can buy a braised uh, plate chiller from like Duda Diesel, that guy on eBay. And mm-hmm. he has them in just like every imaginable size and shape. And you could get it for, you know, a quarter of the price or a fifth of the price of a an actual plate and frame chiller. And so when you're in those smaller sizes, I'd recommend maybe getting one of those, um, you know, back flushing it and heating it to, you know, kill anything in it. And then, um, you know, every time. And then, uh, you know, when that thing starts getting gummed up, just throw it away and buy another one until you get up to a size where you really you need the uh the bigger efficiency and all that yeah i I just add on i think um one barrel even up to perhaps three barrel you could you could scale up a herms system to uh work with that but i think you really start getting to diminishing returns in terms of the uh, amount of energy required to heat those volumes um, I think there's a better economy in, you know, um, uh, burners for that large size, you know, heating the thing directly um, or, you know, then moving. Then, of course, when you get up to five, seven barrel moving up to, you know, steam and boilers and so on. Right. Yeah. If you were going to put, uh, you know, like electric elements in there, you need a lot of them and you need yeah. to flow a lot of liquid across it. You know, uh, you'd have to scale it. Good luck, yeah. Dan, at one yeah. barrel. <laughs> right. Yeah, Dan, Dan, Dan. You know, buy yourself, like, you know, save your money, buy yourself like a, you know, a three barrel, three and a half barrel, and start with that. Or, you know, figure out how, how not to sleep. I mean, yeah. think how productive you could be if you never 
It, like you just have an extra ten hours, nine, eight hours a day. That's a lot. Is that how much you sleep? Six hours a day. <laughs> <laughs> how many? How many hours are you pulling off every night? Both of you. Uh, you know, I sleep six. Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, it, it depends. Um, you know, but six or seven, and then a lot of times I, I like two. I'll go wow. to bed, I'll wake up after a couple hours, and I start thinking about something, and I'm just like, ah, crap, and I'll just go and start working. Anxiety. And all that. Yeah. Really? Huh? John, do you sleep well? Uh, generally, but um, some nights it will be like four or five hours, and then I wake up at, you know, 4 a.m., like Jamil says, and, and my mind's going about some project yeah. I'm working on. And Once I start thinking, there's no sleeping. Oh, boy. Yeah. You turn it into productivity, though. Yeah, I just go and I start working. You know, I I'm always yeah, behind on email and all that. Is that is that why you're like uh, you know semi successful man? <laughs> <laughs> semi, uh-huh. semi. I wouldn't go that far. I wouldn't use uh, you know minimally. Minimally is probably a better word. Well, it's like, you know, you have a family, but they're in community college. You have an RV, but it's from 1997. You have a brewery, but it's not that big. You know, right. um, on the one hand, Minimally. you're a very successful man. Minimally. Yeah, yeah. Minimally. Huh? Huh? Well, yeah. I mean, Dan, if you can figure out how to sleep two hours a night, you should be fine. Yeah. The next one's from uh, Mike Kula. And he said, Dearest Jamil and uh, uh, John, I just want to thank you both for all the great info from your pro shows. I've been homebrewing for almost a year, and I've gotten and continue to get bl- uh, okay blowing smoke. Thank you, sir. I recently binged on the Progasm shows, and on a whim, I applied for a job with a local brew pub looking for an assistant brewer. I took all of your advice, uh, and through some beer god-based miracle, two weeks later, they hired me with no pro brewing experience, and I start training next week. So thanks for all you guys do for uh, home and pro brewing. I owe my job to you guys. So no questions here, just uh, a nice note. Yeah, I, I'd say, you know, I, I wanted to comment on that, you know, just uh, cut us off, uh, and, you know, 10%, I think, is is adequate, uh, yeah. you know, of yeah. every, every of salary. Yeah, yeah. It's going to mail you a check for like $63? Or 63 cents. I mean, it depends. You know, he's working in the brewing industry. I meant $63 a year. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. That sounds about right. All right. Yeah. Well, just cut us a check. We're, we're good with that. Hey, you got to get some revenue, you know. Roll on this thing. The show, it's it's seven, eight years in. I think we ought to, you know, oh, yeah. start getting a little yeah. kickback. I think we've got the track record to justify it. Yeah. Yeah. Just think of everybody who was working in beer who wouldn't have been otherwise yes. in any capacity because uh-huh. of the BN had just donated, you know, whatever percentage of this. We'd, we'd, right. That'd be it for good. this network. Yeah. We'd be good. They could cut us a check. I'm just saying. I'm not above taking people's money. <laughs> uh, maybe Thomas Franson will send us some money. In the meantime, he sent us a question. He wants a show on canning beer. Uh, I guess it's a topic email. From the small tabletop fillers to big automated canning lines, handling of cans and print and liners and cost versus bottles and so on and so forth. Well, Jamil, you've Brent. been looking at a lot of cans lately, haven't you? I have. Um, I thought his, his question was a little more detailed than that, but uh, yeah, uh, um, maybe not. I don't know. It, it, it hit me in the mind. You know, I, I think maybe, you know, that could be one of the whole shows, you know, packaging beer in, in the right. commercial brewery. I thought we could do a show or a series of shows on that, you know, for, you know, bottles and cans and kegs and all that. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, John, you get on that. Okay. Um, 
Didn't you, I thought you were like a, almost about to install a, a canning line, or you were thinking about it? Or we something? have a canning line. You have one. Okay. All right. We're about to start canning our products in that. We've been doing it for uh, Moylan's for you know a few runs. Right. And now that we've experimented on their beer, we we now uh, we now feel confident enough to to put our beer in in cans. Do you have any screw ups there? Did it mostly go well? Uh, mostly went well. Uh, so you know, I think the thing. And let me see that question. Why I included it's not a question. Point. It's like a topic it is. suggestion. Yeah, it was a topic suggestion, which I think is excellent. Um, so the small tabletop to the to the big automated canning lines and the cans, liners, costs, and so on. Okay, yeah, I think uh, I think that's a show idea that that we need to cover. But what I would say is, you know, in any kind of packaging that you're doing, you need to look at all your costs of, of packaging and what you can sell that package for. So, you know, a lot of times people are, will poo-poo bottles, but, you know, it depends on the, you know, what you can sell that package for. If you're looking at, uh, you know, something where you're, you know, wax dipping some small bottle and, you know, you've got three labels on it and, uh, you know, it's all this expense, but the liquid inside is something like a sour beer or somewhere you charge more for it per ounce. Your net per ounce profit is what you're looking for. What did it cost you to package that beer in that bottle? What did it cost you to produce that beer? What can you sell that, that finished package for? And a lot of times, the smaller the package um, and the, you know, the, the more the cost of the package is, you know, especially per ounce. But with the right kind of product, you can actually charge more and get a higher per profit, per ounce profit. And that's what you need to look at no matter what the, the, the package is. So things like cans, uh, four 16-ounce cans is actually uh, a higher margin sale than a six-pack of 12-ounce cans. There's more cans there. There's, there's more beer there, right? Or, or that's the same. Yeah, same. Um, but you can you get more uh, in a case. You'll have four six packs, and if the retailer is selling those for nine ninety nine, you've got four. You got forty dollars worth of retailer product that you need to pay your distributor, and and then you need to pay yourself and what you end up with, and then all the the materials material cost. When you do four packs of sixteen ounce, you have six in that case. So if you're selling it for nine ninety nine, now you've got sixty dollars worth of retail product that can be sold, and um, even though it's three gallons of beer versus two gallons of beer, so you're including more beer, that <clears throat> extra twenty dollars, a lot of that comes down to you as margin as well. So <clears throat> the uh, y- you got to look at the big picture. You got to look at. Uh, one of the things they say about, uh, you know, bottles and cans and things like a case of bottles, case of bombers, they say, well, that's 12 sales that you need to make. You need 12 customers to come and buy that case of bombers. If you're doing uh, uh, six packs, that's only four customers to, to consume a case. So it's very interesting. Uh, you know, you only need four sales to happen. Is it is it more common for people to uh, pe- people just buy one 
24 ounce bottle they, they, i mean i frequently will buy two or three uh people tend to buy just buy one well it depends you know a lot of it's it's how you need to look at it you know mm-hmm. in the you know how much is being sold in one transaction but people will buy a couple um a lot of times people will buy you know one of you know like one evil twin one evil cousin one shallow grave you know, or they'll buy, you know, a shallow grave and, you know, a Lagunitas or something. They'll buy, you know, multiple beers and they'll only just buy one. So if they want multi-pack, if they want multiples, then they want like a six-pack. And they'll, they'll, they'll be happy buying one six-pack. Interesting. I never thought of it that way. So, but and so the the other side of that is you do get more per bottle on the single bottle sale, mm-hmm. but you're just you're relying on a bigger base to buy them. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Right. So you need to. That's like one of the most profitable. But you know how much volume are you moving? Mm-hmm. So it's it's a volumes and numbers game, which I think is is pretty fascinating. I, I think we need to do a whole show on that. Let's do this. Let's take a short break. When we come back, we'll have more of your questions right after this. Beer tasting games that train your palate, a brewery locator, and the brand new interactive beer style guide. These are just a few of the awesome things you'll find on craftbeer.com. The style guide is a beautiful example of technology in beer. Browse beer style families or turn on the automatic beer style finder and explore beer through color, bitterness, ABV, aroma, and flavor. It's really the coolest way to explore every beer style besides having them all in front of you. Go to craftbeer.com and click on Beer Styles to start the guide. Plus, enjoy the rest of craftbeer.com, the Brewer's Banter blogs, beer education, how to host a beer tasting, and the invaluable Draft Quality Manual. Tons of great content that makes your beer better. Visit the new craftbeer.com right now and explore the website that brings you all the passion, camaraderie, and creativity of the craft beer community. Community, craftbeer.com, celebrating the best of American beer. A few things happened 30 years ago. Arfanet migrated to TCPIP, and the internet was born. Revenge of the Jedi was renamed Return of the Jedi and opened in theaters. Mila Kunis and Emily Blunt were born, beginning a rad fantasy in my mind. But all of that pales next to the fact that HopTech opened its doors and began blowing homebrewers right out of their mash tuns. HopTech doesn't fuck around. Real people shipping awesome shit straight to you. Their new website is fast and easy to navigate. Or just call 800-379-4677 and let badass bitch Jade and the gadget guy Roberto blow their warm load of customer service all over you. So visit the site or visit the store in Dublin, California and support those that support you. Get your brewing on at hoptech.com. Hey, my brewing brothers and sisters, this is Jamel Zanisha, and I love a bold, hoppy beer, one that spits resin in your face and makes you cry, Uncle. There are a lot of great hoppy beers out there, but at Heretic, we want to make something as bold, dank, and resiny as possible. We use hops at every chance we get, including multiple dry hop additions. The result is Heretic Evil Cousin. This light golden, 8% Imperial IPA has an easy malt character that helps take the edge off the massive bittering but it takes a back seat to the in-your-face hop character. We make sure this beer finishes dry so the hops can jump out and slam me in the taste buds. 
If you can't get enough hoppy goodness, Evil Cousin is your cup of tea. Cheers. Williams Brewing is your online resource for prompt delivery of quality home brewing supplies. Since 1979, Williams Brewing has offered the finest equipment and the freshest ingredients backed by the best customer service in the business. Do you like to mash using efficient fly sparging but would like an easy way to heat your strike and sparge water? Enter the new Brewer's Edge Electric Mash Water Heater, a plug-in, anywhere, precisely controlled heater for strike and sparge water. Ditch the fumes and second burner and make mashing easy. Go to williamsbrewing.com today and browse their vast selection. That's williamsbrewing.com. Orders placed by 4 p.m. Pacific time weekdays ship the same day. Brewing is easy the Williams way. Back to your hosts, Jamil Zanashev and John Palmer. Putting the testicles in technical. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. We're covering your questions uh, that you sent in to BrewStrong at BrewingNetwork.com. i tell you, a lot of the other shows, like you said, the uh, Sour Hour and, yep. and all the others, they take questions, too. Uh, you know, you, you email in and, uh, sour hour, Dr. Homebrew, um, you know, uh, the session even, uh, send those questions in and, and get them answered. Indeed. Listen to all those shows too. I don't, I don't know if you've uh, tried those shows, but good stuff. Lots of good stuff going on the Brew Network. Just as a little teaser, the next episode of the sour hour will be the first sour hour remote broadcast. We're bringing the studio up to Russian river. Oh. And setting it up there uh, on Wednesday, May 6th. Uh, and the guests in person will be Jean Vinois from Cantillon mm-hmm. and Rob Todd from Allagash and Vinny himself. 6 de Mayo. That's, wow. that's my wedding anniversary. That's right. Should we get a Mexican brewer in there just as a, you know, just as a little uh, hangover pick-me-up? Yes. 6 de Mayo. Uh-huh. All right. Moving along with the questions. Here's another one from the same Swede, Thomas Franson. And here's a, it looks like another uh, topic request. He wants to hear a show on shelf stability, uh, up and downstream to package, smaller big bottles. What are the targets you are trying to hit to make your beer more flavor uh, shelf stable? And hop varieties that fade quicker, keg only beer. Mm-hmm. John, again, I thought this was another uh, great uh, show topic. Yeah, that, that, uh, would be. that you could do a lot of research on and put a lot of effort into, and then I could come into the studio and just. Uh, <laughs> Sit here and ask you questions. Okay. Well, uh, I'll, I need to get uh, take a look at that because that's that can get pretty complicated. Right. Right. Um, but uh, I do have um, Carl Eckhart's uh, book on packaging. Oh, uh-huh. um, from the MBAA. I think it's MBA. Yeah. And uh, a lot of good info in there, so I'm sure I can come up with some good recommendations. Right. Generally, um, we try and minimize oxygen in the package. We try yes. and uh, ensure that uh, fermentation was full, vigorous, and, and completed attenuation. I think you know, great fermentation tends to uh, cure a lot of uh, ills in the package and provide better stability. Uh, you know, a period of cold conditioning uh, enhances uh, shelf stability as well. Um, 
you know, I, I think uh, Banforth goes with, what, uh, three days at 29 degrees Fahrenheit, something like that? Uh, suggest that? Yeah, yeah. It, you know, help drop some of the uh, haze and mm-hmm. so on that can, mm-hmm. uh, the breakdown of that stuff or oxidation right. reduction reactions can can uh, catalyze staling and so reduce shelf life. And then uh, one of the other things that, uh, you know, we do at Heretic, we, we plate everything out. We make sure that we have zero uh, colony-forming units, bacteria, wild yeast, or anything, um, because any of that in your package is going to shorten the life. It's going to end up, you know, over-carbonating or becoming sour or funky. So that's an issue with that. Um, as far as the most shelf-stable beer and the least... I would say the the least uh, shelf life you're going to get is always going to be from extremely hoppy pale beers. That's just those things die really quick, and everything dies once you start putting in a package. Um, right. You know, in the keg, it's a little better. Kept cold, it's a little better. Uh, darker beers, beers with uh, highly kiln malts in them. It acts as an antioxidant. It's the only thing I can think of, and it really does help uh, preserve those beers, um, even if they're hoppy. Um, so that's that's the basics of it. Now, now Thomas here is wondering if uh, if you're using hop varieties that fade quicker, should that be kind of for keg only beer? But are mm-hmm. you saying that it pale hoppy beer? It doesn't really matter the variety; it's just going to fade. Right. Well, the hops are going to fade, but there are hops that will stick around a little longer. Um, but what, what what are we talking about when you say longer? A week? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it could be could be you know a month more. Really? You know, could could you know uh, whether you get that trailing uh, you know hop character or not? Uh, but the the big thing about it is, you know, these real pale beers with the hoppy and and you know not a lot of other malt character to hide behind. They get this weird kind of caramelly staling character and so right. you know it's the thing that people go oh english malt character it's like no 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 it's you know stale stale beer um mm-hmm. and that caramelly kind of funk it comes on pretty quick in in a real pale beer with not a lot of other malts to hide behind yeah one thing i think we should mention is that um there's there's really no no data, no published data to say which hop varieties last longer than others. Um, so I, I don't, ha- we don't have any real basis for saying, um, you know, what a better hop might be, you know, for for uh, longer, you know, hoppiness in the package. Yeah, uh, some of, some of, some of the hops like Centennial and and some of those will really stick around. Yeah, but I mean, like again, you don't see. You don't see that published as fact. It's yeah. anecdotal evidence, right? Yes. Right. Yeah. That, well, that, I mean, that counts, doesn't it? I mean, if you have lots of brewers does, reporting but, the same thing mm-hmm. over over long periods of time, I just of published use. it on the air here, dude. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, this true. is a source, <laughs> right? Well, I tell you, that's, yeah. that is just like you know. All right, so I'm an idiot. All <laughs> you guys around here know that. Mm-hmm. Apparently, some of the people. That listen to this do not know that I'm an idiot, and that's you know that could be problematic. Now you know, right? Indeed. They you know they believe things, they listen, they're like, oh well, you know, Jamil says, and yeah, I mean and that's, then, that's you know, kind of why I threw that caveat in there because 
Because <laughs> you know I'm an idiot. Well, no. Thank you. Thank you, John. <laughs> because people believe that we know everything that we talk about. Right. No, no I mean, you know, generally, we'll, we can suppose and we will throw yeah. out uh, information that we have. But, uh, you know, every once in a while, um, you know, it can be, uh, you know, uh, we could be wrong. Right. We're just, yeah. you know, and we'll, we'll tell you, oh, we don't really know, but, you know, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. Mm-hmm. So what would you think if there was, you know, if there was a, a d- data uh-huh. uh, saying, okay, well, this hot variety lasts a lot longer, but in your experience, you never found that to be the case. Would you right. believe the data or would you believe your experience? I'd, I'd believe that, you know, there's something else there. You're missing I'd, something? I believe both. I mean, yeah. you know, it depends on where the data comes from. If it comes from, you know, some... some John commissioned a study. Some, some fat idiot if, spouting if stuff on, University on, on a podcast. That, you know, yeah. Versus, you know, <laughs> yeah. or if it comes from, you know, something solid. No, but yeah, you, you know, Oregon State says... It, it's like they had this thing about, um, uh, you know, dry hopping. Oh, you get all the flavor out of the dry hops in the first, like, 12 hours or something like that. I do and don't believe that. I mean, I, I, I realize there's a spike initially, and then there's a drop-off, but then there's a second spike later on. And so my experience, you know, shows one thing, and, 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 and there's certain studies that show there's a second spike. So I'm, I'm not really, you know, convinced one way or another on some things. I think, yeah. you know... you. It's more complex. The, the, the problem is you, you'll say something, and, and this is the thing about the Internet. Someone will say, well, you know, this happened to me. And a dozen other people go, yeah, that happened to me too. And it's like, so everybody holds that as truth, the way it's been explained. And then the actual answer is a little more complex than that. And it's, you know, and there's like the, you know, the studies from German brewing 100 years ago. And then they're like, well, no, that's, the, you know, that's the way it is. The answer is somewhat more complex, and there's other factors uh, affecting it, and so you you need to take all that into account. Um, but I, I think I think anecdotal evidence and I think you know uh, scientific study both uh, play a role in figuring these things out. Definitely. All right, here's uh, Quentin Tarantino, who writes in and says, "Hey guys, follow up question to the May 27th show. Enjoy I your act- movies, brother." I asked how to scale up from uh, five to ten gallon batch. Your response was recipe times two and a larger pot. <laughs> I was hoping uh, that's you... a fine answer, man. <laughs> yeah, we stand by it. I was hoping you would uh, address scaling, not specifically five to ten. Uh, if I were to follow that logic, the ratio of hops to work from five gallons would be no different if brewing a barrel. Is this correct? Um, right. Right. I, I am under. That is correct. Well. If that were the... Finish, finish the question. Okay, all right. Uh, I'm under the impression that the higher volume of wort, the lower ratio of hops required due to increased hops utilization percentage. Proceed if desired. I have heard of homebrewers gone pro that have experienced growing pains due to this very thing. Uh, that perfectly balanced five-gallon homebrew IPA when attempted on, say, a 30-barrel system is now peeling the enamel off your teeth. Is there yeah. any part of the process affected by, say, salts, specialty grains, hops, etc.? Thanks, and be gentle. It's, right. Um... So it depends on how crappy your homebrew setup was because the the only reason because you're the the if you scale everything up directly the amount of hot material going into the amount of liquid is exactly the same the ratio is identical so that's not changing the 
ratio of the kettle, that you know, and the the vigor of the boil. If you're getting a really crappy boil, you're not getting much movement of your liquid in your in your boil kettle as a as a small brewer. I think that that could be an issue, right? Right. But generally, everybody is aware of the boil and how it needs to boil. I don't think you're getting a huge difference between that and on a commercial scale. Because, again, the thought was, well, you know, there's more liquid. It's like, well, the ratio of liquid to hop, if you're using the same hops in both, it's a ratio. No, 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 no. I, I don't necessarily believe that that's the cause. I think one of the causes that seems to be happening is, um, you know, if, if as, a, as a home brewer using an immersion coil, when you turn that thing on, you very quickly stop isomerizing the alpha acids. You very quickly shut everything down as far as uh, developing more bittering. On the brewer pro brewer scale, a lot of breweries their knockout takes you know an hour, so yeah. you got an hour hot that you continue to isomerize these alpha acids. Um, you continue to develop the bittering, and. So I think that that tends to play a role in it. And it's not the fact that, you know, it's a larger size because all that's the same. I mean, it could be some equipment issues, um, but but that's the difference. I think it's it's the knockout. What do you, what do you say, John? Um, I, I agree with that because, again, it's, it's one of these situations where the answer is more complex than what it seems on the surface. Mm-hmm. Um, Generally, scaling up recipes, yeah, it's a linear scale as far as, you know, most ingredients. Um, but you've got to, you know, take into account that um, the the specialty malts don't necessarily scale linearly. And you've, mm-hmm. you've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. So um, mainly it's a base malt increase if you're going from um, – say five to ten to fifteen gallons uh you know add add more base malt to bring up the gravity add a little bit more especially malt to bring up the flavor but to keep you know Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily a a one-to-one uh ratio or scale we ran into a weird issue just recently i've been discussing was uh, we tried scaling up a recipe and um when they scaled it they doubled it in order to get the same gravity as the the previous recipe. And they got close to the gravity, but it was much paler in color, was lacking all the specialty malt flavors. And I'm like, well, you know, if you're going from, let's say, 10, you know, 10 gallons to, you know, 100 gallons, and that 100-gallon system has a much higher efficiency than Mm -hmm. the 10-gallon system, you still need to scale your specialty grains up 10 times or close to that, and maybe a little less. But maybe you don't scale your base malt up quite that much. That's the issue there. You know, we're, we're finding that we need to scale the, the specialty grains up because the high efficiency is really, you know, taking advantage of all that base malt. And so we're... You know, you need to use less base malt, and your your percentage of of uh, especially malts is rising. Yeah. Hey, what what have you found, Jamil, in terms of scaling up your hop quantities? Um, I was I was converting a recipe from commercial size down to homebrew size last week, and 
looking at his hop quantities and times, I'm, I looked at that and realized that I couldn't just scale it by volume. It was it was it made more sense to go to you know standard recipe software and just say I want fifty IBUs out of these hops at these times. How much do I use of each, at each time mm. um, to get you know a more reasonable. Uh, approximation of how how much you know what quantity of hops uh, to get that number of IBUs. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd be careful because you know the calculations for IBUs are worthless. Very, yeah, it's it's you know? it's strictly a simple model. But. Yeah, I mean I, I mean it's worthwhile in your own brewery doing your own thing so you have an idea of whether you're you know higher or lower than what you've gotten before. But brewery yeah. to brewery, they it has no no bearing. So, uh, you know, changing the volumes and the alpha acids. Um, I mean, I generally wouldn't if uh, if I was if I was looking to replicate something, um, just because the calculations are always off. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Um, what did you find? Well, I I found that um, I was off by, you know, my estimate versus just scaling would have been off by a factor of three. Hmm. Um, so I'm, you know, going from a, a ten barrel batch to a, a five gallon batch. You know, I just kind of right. uh, threw those hop calculations off. So yeah, um, I, I would always, you know, just scale the hops directly on the grains. That's a little trickier to scale. Mm-hmm. And I would uh, kind of maintain generally the the specialty malts and fiddle around with the uh, base malts depending on efficiency differences. Yeah. So. But in general, when scaling, percentages are your friend. Yes, I w- I would agree with that that statement. Okay. All right. Yeah. So were we gentle enough that time? Did we fill out that? that? I think it was a good question. I think, uh, yeah. but I think, I think I stand by our earlier answer on the earlier question. Uh, <laughs> use math times two, and there you go. All right. Let's take a short break. When we come back, we'll have more of your questions right after this. And now, Northern Brewer presents What If Homebrewers Ruled the World? Ladies and gentlemen, if you'll follow me, I will lead you into the gallery area. Now, the first piece up for sale today is a Jamil Zinashev original, a bottle of 1997 vintage Evil Twin. Oh, I see. A bidding for this one-of-a-kind piece will start at £7,000. And if you'll continue to follow me, ladies and gentlemen, I can show you a rather abstract piece from Bay Area brewer Justin Crossley. It's a German Doppelbach entitled Justin's Giant Bach. The brewer's notes here indicate that this beer had excellent mouth food. That's just a crazy Your support of the Brewing Network means everything to us. We couldn't produce shows without you. And we love giving you something extra for that support, like... 
Brew Your Own magazine. You already know it's a great brewing magazine full of recipes, equipment how-tos, discussions of beer styles, and brewing techniques. Whether you're new to brewing and just starting out or you're an old pro, you'll always learn something from the articles in Brew Your Own. Plus, there are amazing special issues like plans for building a Brutus 10 system, 250 classic clone recipes, and the Home Brewer's Answer Book. Brew Your Own magazine and BYO.com are awesome resources for any brewer, whether for yourself or as a gift. When you subscribe or resubscribe from the Brewing Network homepage, you directly support programs like this. Get a great magazine and support the Brewing Network. Subscribe to Brew Your Own right from the BrewingNetwork.com. BN Army, I'm here to talk seriously for a second. You all are partially responsible for something explosive, and it's time you answer for it. Moonlight Meadery is exploding. Yeah, exploding across the country. Wait, they just landed in Australia with insane quality meads. With nearly 70 different varieties of mead on the market, Moonlight Meadery has blown up the mead category and completely reinvented it. Seriously? What? Seriously. What? You're paying money for that watered-down mead when you could have a Moonlight Mead? Moonlight Meads explode with quality and flavor. They're a party in a bottle. Did someone say party? If you want mead and want the best, you want meads from Moonlight Meadery and will accept nothing less. And now get 15% off by going to MoonlightMeadery.com forward slash BNArmy and use coupon code BNArmy at checkout. Hey, sign me up for that party. Like the Lance Armstrong of the beer world. Except for that nut thing. This is Bruce Strong. All right, we're back. Wrapping up uh, another fine episode of uh, Bruce Strong. Yep. Answering your questions. How many questions we got left? A couple more. All right. And then I heard some some big news that there's a uh, Jay-Z's Medical Corner, corner yes. coming up. All right. So let's get through these quickly <laughs> then. Here's uh, James from Australia who says uh, he loved uh, Can You Brew It uh, back in that uh, incarnation of the show. And he always loved the pro interviews, he says. One thing struck me was that most of them work in Play-Doh, some in bricks, and mm-hmm. only a small amount in gravity. Mm-hmm. Most of the brewers that came from a homebrew background switched using Play-Doh. Can you please explain the re- relative merits of each system and perhaps why homebrewers have gravitated, pun not intended, toward uh, gravity, but pros have gone toward uh, Play-Doh or bricks? Yeah, I think the pros are just stuck in the old world and... Uh... I mean, specific gravity does make the most sense, if you ask me. I I just do not yeah. see the reasoning behind bricks or Play-Doh. And even at our brewery, uh, you know, and Chris was like, no, oh, no, 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 no. You know, pro brewers work, in, you know, and it's this whole thing about, you know, oh, I'm a pro brewer. I'm going to work in, you know, some arcane, worthless system. Um because even Play-Doh and Bricks don't don't agree, and they're not designed for wort sugars. Um, they're designed so, for pure sucrose, right? So it's just kind of silly to to stick with that. But um, you know, it's just like this you know club thing where everyone sticks to it. I think specific gravity is fine. I think it's you know it offers uh, a bit more. Uh, Precision in a way. Um, I don't know. They're they're both fine. They're all fine. Yeah, it's just what, what Plato is nice in that you don't have to worry about temperature as much when you're taking like a hydrometer sample or a gravity sample. 
um, and do a, and do a, a temperature correction. Um, you can you know get a um, um, kind of a pseudo gravity reading from a refractometer a little more quickly than you can a hydrometer. There's but, there are specific gravity refractometers too. Yeah, the other thing I mean that that makes Plato and Brick's refractometers um, a little archaic is the fact that you actually have to use a specific gravity reading from a hydrometer if you're going to calculate total extract. Um, there is it's in the equation you've got to put in that gravity reading to make a make a, a real conversion. So. Um, some of the probers and some, you know, maltsters like, uh, prefer um, Plato and, and um, degrees Plato because it's, it represents pound of extract and they feel that that is an easier way to calculate a grain bill, um, you know, because they know how many pounds of extract they need. Um, right. You know, homebrew world, we do the same thing and but instead of saying, or instead of thinking about in pounds of extract, we're saying, okay, I want a gravity of 1060 and at, you know, so many points per pound per gallon, I can mm -hmm. make that calculation. Well, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I, I think, again, you know, in today's world, back when you had to, like, count, you know, pounds per gallon, you know. In barrels of on, water. In barrels of water on your toes, um, you know, I, I could see that today with, you know, the easy access to calculators and things, I think, you know, we could all switch to a much more modern, modern system. And there's, uh, there are, uh, refractometers now that, uh, are designed, digital ones that are designed to, uh, around maltose as the primary sugar, mm -hmm. which, uh, a lot more precise. There you go. All right. Really, the biggest thing is just talking in Play Doh. That's what pro brewers do. Yes. And talking in gravity, that's right. what home brewers do. Right. So and if you start you a pro brewery right. and you won't want to sound like a home brewer, talk right. in Play Doh. Exactly. There you go. Exactly. That'll change over time. But yeah, people want to sound cool. So. <laughs> Here's uh, Ross from the Midwest. Howdy, guys. If it hasn't already been discussed, I would love to uh, learn more about how commercial breweries use pilot breweries, if at all. So here's a couple of questions he's got. Like, how uh, do commercial breweries use these? And how does recipe development go? How do you test out new ingredients? Um, if you uh, if you don't use one, why not? So does Heretic use one? No. Why not? Uh, seems like a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it does. You're, you can brew five gallons of beer, or you could brew, you know, a thousand gallons of beer. Same amount of effort. You know, which one are you going to do? Well, what about when you want to test out a new recipe? I test it out in my head. Hmm. Okay, well, but do you think that's, you know, if not unique, a very tiny percentage of brewers just know beer as... You're in the top five beer knowledge people in the world, so you can do that, but Joe Homebrewer shouldn't. I think probably at least... I'd be shocked if at least... Half, probably more like eighty percent of brewers just go ahead and do it full size batch. I I I don't see that many doing pilot batches. I mean, if you're doing something like your, you know, stone, and you're gonna do a you know, couple of thousand barrels of something, or three hundred, you know, or you know, five thousand barrels of something. 
maybe you go ahead and you know, you knock out a you know a five barrel something or you know you have the yeah. the the brew pub do a ten barrel and then you go off of that but right. you know for us it's you know thirty five barrels ish and it's like well it'll be beer it'll be fine <laughs> you know we'll just sell it in the tap room. Yeah, a lot of people were talking. A lot of brewers were talking to Blickman at CBC about uh, his pilot systems—one mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, barrel, two barrel, three barrel pilot right. systems that they build. Uh, so, I mean, a lot of brewers do use pilot systems, and uh, it just as Jamil says, it depends on how you conceptualize recipes and and kind of the the background purpose for what you're uh, doing that pilot for. Um, if it's you know scaling up to a very large batch, it right. makes sense to do a smaller I think, pilot batch first. I think you know the value, and I'd like to have a little system just for variety in the tap room. So sure. I, I certainly wouldn't mind that. And you could call that a pilot system, but you know it's just smaller run stuff just to keep the variety going. But uh, you know I wouldn't necessarily anything i was sending out I, I don't know that i would pilot batch it so very quickly you know for ross because he sounds like he maybe wants to do one mm-hmm. um what system would you recommend uh you know like uh john said the blickman uh you know they've got that uh one barrel or two barrel and i think they're working on like a three barrel right um i would size it so that you know it was worth the effort if you do five gallons the problem is it's not enough beer to do anything with. I would at least make it big enough so that the labor that went into it, which is the same as brewing a full-size batch, could make some money at the tap room. And so the tap room, good point. you sell it all in the tap room, and it's like, okay, well, we, you know, we did okay on that. You know, it, it wasn't a waste of time and money. Uh, so I'd, I'd make sure of that. So I'd size it up to, to that if possible. All right, you want to do Medical Corner before we get out of it's here? It's Jay-Z's Medical Corner. All right, here we go. I know you've all Dr. been waiting. <laughs> Straight aside, nurse. It's Jay-Z's Medical Corner. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, no. I told you before about uh, going to the doctor. You know, I get the, the funky skin on my face, and they're like, oh, it's sun damage. And then they told me that... Uh, I get uh, like a you know uh, a light colored spot on my my dick because I I rub the color out of it. What? You know, right, what? right. When I, you were sixteen? No, no. They were like, oh yeah, it must be from rubbing. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Impossible. I would I, I'd have to be rubbing like a monkey in a zoo in order to rub the color off my dick. I you know just not just not happen. It would have happened in your teenage years. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would have would have happened before I was married, and. So, so uh, no, I happened to go to a dermatologist to get uh, a little, you know, dangling lump of uh, something off of my body. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm like in my face. And they looked at it and they're like, uh, you got this anywhere else in your body? I'm like, well, you know. Now that you mention it. Now that you mention it. And, uh, and they're like, well, it's uh, vitiligo, which is uh, the Michael Jackson disease, not Parkinson's. <laughs> Not that Michael Jackson, the other Michael Jackson, the the one with the one glove. Uh, whoa. Vitiligo. It's that skin thing where, you know, you lose color in your skin. And so uh, what, you know, so I've got this uh, this thing going on. Now, I, 
I'm pretty sure I got it from inappropriately touching small children. But, uh, you it's know. It's not proven. Well, no, I, I'm pretty sure that's where I got it. Uh, but, you know, I'm not sure how Michael Jackson got it because that, that wouldn't make sense there. But uh, I, I'm pretty sure, you know, that's where it comes from. So, so uh, are you going to make an appointment with the plastic surgeon just to make everything look like that? Because otherwise you're going to end up splotchy. That's no, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm already splotchy. I'm going to end up looking like uh, Elizabeth Taylor. Uh, <laughs> so, no, no, I, I talked to them and they said, look, there's this ointment you put on. It's like $600 ointment. You put it on the areas and then it like turns off some parts of your and allows your color to develop again. And, uh, Takes about three months, I said. Uh, it gives you cancer. That's that's the other thing. Skin cancer, uh, lymphatic system cancer. Uh, but you know, well, you look good. Disease. You look good. That's the thing. That's the important thing. And uh, no, it was interesting uh, when they found out I worked in a brewery. They're like, "Well, you know, do you get exposed to these, uh, you know, to harsh chemicals or anything like that?" I'm like, "Well, yeah." This happened, started to happen back when, I, you know, some steam from the keg washer, some caustic steam. I'm like, you know, it could be exposures to that. And they're like, yeah, that's the sort of thing that triggers it. No kidding. And they don't know really what causes it. But, uh, again, it's Do you have to have a, Jackson a genetic predisposition to it and then it's triggered? Or any person can just get triggered by the steam? Or touching small children right. inappropriately. Right, sure. Yes. Not Um uh, yeah, it's it, they're not really sure, but it is like a a uh, immune system thing, and so like you know in response to this, it's like your body stops producing the the, the melanoid and the color, you know, or or melanin or whatever it is, right? Melanin, that melanin, melanin uh, in your skin. So I'm not normally as white as I look. <laughs> I'm slightly darker. I am not. I am not. Uh, you know, like you know laser paper white i'm you know more of an ivory it's an off-white an off-white yes right. elephant tusk i think is the paint elephant color. tusk yes mm-hmm. yes i would be elephant tusk the ivory worm with a little bit of biscuit mixed in i think Jeez, biscuity. Is, is I, this, I am a little biscuity i think is this what i have to look forward to in 20 years yes your skin starts falling off and turning right. colors yeah i, I have oh we can do a whole series on jay-z's medical corner i got a couple other interesting things happening too so it's uh also i'll start bringing this I think you moved me up in the death pool. Oh uh, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I'm, <laughs> All right, I'll make an adjustment to the spreadsheet. Right, I think. I think uh, odds, after, odds have changed as of today. The line has gone up. The, yeah, oh yeah, I'm 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 there. You know, I'm 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 starting to become uh, you know one to one odds. Oh, I'm, I'm going. Beva wants her microphone. She wants uh, to talk yeah, about the color rubbed out of my dick. Oh, no. was your penis in the <laughs> steam? Oh, good question. <laughs> There's a little bit of love in every batch of hair tech. Egg washer, <laughs> eh? Secret ingredient. <laughs> no. Gross. No. No. Apparently, it can trigger it in your body, and it happens around. Uh... <laughs> so, if you if you Google vitiligo and look at the images, you'll see like pictures of penises, <laughs> and you'll like a guy spreading his ass cheeks, and there's like you know like a a halo around. <laughs> His sphincter and, you know, and... The uh, second you said that, Scott jumped to his keypad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it, it it tends to be around, like, people's eyes and around their mouths and things like that. Oh, I just, I, I'm, I instantly regret Google imaging this. Right, right. I mean, oh there's a bunch God. of, you know, but that's what it is. There are some things you can't unsee. I oh, can't <laughs> stop looking. <laughs> 
No, but so it wasn't me rubbing excessively, doctor. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a very very debilitating disease. Oh my god, it, it sure looks like it. Yeah, Jesus. Well, that's all really great. You know, it's uh, funny. Jamil's got a shirt on that says, I brew beer in big bold letters, and then parentheses below it, it says, need another reason to save me from the zombie apocalypse. But has it occurred to you, Jay-Z, that perhaps you are the zombie apocalypse? I could be. Your skin's falling off your your bones. I could be. I could be. I could be rotten here in no time and uh, have a taste for brains. So there you go. Well, that's really great. Mm figure. Right. This doesn't do much for your image as a poster child of craft brewing, though. Yeah, 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 sure. Um, I think, uh, you know, the interesting thing is it gives me a, uh, a moral right to make fun of anybody with this other <laughs> disease. Sure. True. Yeah. I, yeah. You can't. I, I thought about it. You really can't make fun of anybody that uh, has a disease unless you have it or you have somebody close that, that has it. So it's like why I can make fun of uh, severe mental retardation because Scott is my friend. <laughs> <laughs> or acquaintance, one or the other. That's why I can make fun of it. So. It's a good excuse to hold a telephone, though. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, and if you feel charitable, I would suggest going to our fine sponsor, Blickman Engineering, BlickmanEngineering.com. Check out all their goodies there. If you're looking for a uh, pilot system or a nano system, check it out. They got they got what you need. Uh, good people there. Check out the other shows on the Brewing Network. And check out the store on the Brewing Network, BrewingNetwork.com slash store. There's all sorts of goodies in there, books and hats and glassware and hoodies and growlers and all sorts of special stuff that when you buy that stuff, it goes to the bottom line of the Brewing Network and helps keep programming like this on the air. That is something you want to do, right? (laughs) Everybody nods. This is radio. You can all say yes. You don't have to nod. I don't want to be so self-serving. There you go. But I want you to know I'm acknowledging what you're saying. Boy, thank you. Mm -hmm. It makes me feel good. That's what acquaintances are for. In my my medically challenged state, I think it's very important that I get the kindness of strangers and acquaintances uh, to make me feel Medically challenged? That's so PC. It doesn't (laughs) sell the picture of what's really happening to you here. I'm I'm rotting off off of the flesh falling off the bones. All right, until then, everybody, Bruce Strong. Bruce Strong.